The Overwhelm is Optional podcast is for you if you want to quit the struggle with overwhelm, you want to live life to the full, you don't want to compromise your health and relationships in order to have well-paid, satisfying, meaningful work. You want it all on your terms. Is your rebellious nature causing your struggle and overwhelm? What? Heidi, that's really mean. What do you mean? I'm rebellious. It's my own fault. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Let's try this again. Is your inner rebel secret or not so secret, depending on where you are in your life and how you feel about things? Maybe it's that that's causing the overwhelm. And if it is, maybe the overwhelm's a really good thing because it's only discomfort really, isn't it, that gets us to change, to pay attention. So let's just examine this idea for a bit. So I remember being in education and there was just this strong idea that this was just the way things were, that things couldn't be different. They couldn't be better. They couldn't be how I wanted them to be. So the idea that you could, for example, um, have a weekend without thinking about what you're going to teach the following week or even the idea actually that you could sleep properly during term time. It's like most teachers didn't and that was normal. And because it was seen as normal, actually, if you kind of go, well, this (laughs) this isn't normal. This isn't the life I wanted. I wanted to be able to sleep as well as go to work. When I say this, I realise how absurd it sounds now. But at the time, it was just it was just not not really acceptable to say these things. And that sounds utterly silly. And it's not because people didn't want to sleep. It's just they'd given up trying to sleep. It was just like, well, an inevitable part of getting through a term time and doing a good enough job seemed to involve disturbed sleep. It was just the way it was. I knew of one woman who to cope with all of the marking she was actually um and one of her children was having trouble sleeping she'd have to like lay in the hallway outside the child's bedroom because the child couldn't go to sleep without her being there doing her marking till midnight i mean i mean that's not the same as being woken up in the night but it's another example of how i don't know we just do crazy things because people say that's just the way it is and that What I'm saying is, if you didn't, if you were okay with that, if you didn't have this inner rebel going, but actually, I want to sleep really well. Actually, I want to feel really good. I want to have energy. I want to wake up in the morning feeling clear headed and and not completely overwhelmed. I don't want all this pressure. I don't like this life crushing overwhelm. Well, the thing is, if you were not rebellious, if you were okay with it, if you just kind of went, well, it's just the way things are then you wouldn't be feeling it so intensely. So is your inner rebel, your rebelliousness, is it contributing or how is it contributing to your struggle with overwhelm? So I know looking back that there were many times when I felt that if I just, if I could just accept that this is how things are, then it would kind of be easier because I was fighting. I was fighting for my very survival. I was fighting for my right to feel well, to sleep well, to be myself, basically. I really wanted to teach. (laughs) I loved teaching, but 
I never found a balance. I never found a way. And we talk about work-life balance, don't we? But to me, it's much deeper than that. It's about having work that is both deeply fulfilling and satisfying and provides really good money. And I mean really good money. I'm, I'm really tired of this whole, oh, well, you know, it's just the way things are. Like you pay a mortgage all your life and then you retire. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, why would we set things up that way? Now, of course, we haven't set things up this way. And whether we think other people have set things up this way or whether it's just how markets work. But, you know, when people say, oh, house prices are really high. And I think, no, house prices would always be exactly the maximum that can be squeezed out of incomes. So, you know, you can mess around with interest rates and repayments and lengths of mortgages, but it, mortgages will always be the maximum that can be squeezed out of your income. And so will petrol prices, because if they go too high, the economy stops. So it's always going to be maximum. How much can we get out of you? <laughs> it's always like that, isn't it? So and it's and it just feels like that's how things are. So I've lost my train of thought now. Yeah, so what I want is more money than that. I want I don't want to be stuck in that kind of thing. Now part of it is a way of thinking, isn't it? You know, so again, it's this rebelliousness. Part of it is, well, I want more than that. I don't want to be in survival mode, because this is what we're talking about. Life is hard, it's made to be survived. If you're surviving, you should be grateful. Does that ring a bell? I know I've got stuck in that many times in my life because Life can be incredibly hard. I've had incredibly difficult times in my life when, yeah, really, really difficult things to cope with, things that I don't often talk about. I certainly wouldn't share on this podcast because it's not my story. You know, if, if it's about um, a member of my family or a friend or, you know, my ex-husband or my children, I'm not going to share that publicly because that's not appropriate. So, I only share things that are personal to me that I'm comfortable sharing that I I believe would be helpful to you. And that's really important. Just sharing stuff for the sake of it, I don't think helps anybody. There's enough. There's enough oversharing in the world. And I'm a very private person, as I'm sure you are too. So back to this idea that life is really hard and it's meant to be survived. My struggle has always been the refusal to believe that. And that's my inner rebel. That wanting to live a full life, that wanting more than that. That's where my trouble comes from, because it's like inside there's this bigger version of me just wanting to expand and go, yay, life is amazing. And anytime that happens, anytime I feel that degree of freedom, I just feel so good. I feel I feel at home in myself. But when that that bigger version of me feels crushed, because over time, particularly as a child, I learned to squish myself down so that I wouldn't get into trouble. I wouldn't make a fuss, you know, trying to work out the rules of a family, the rules of school, the rules of um, the school bus, the rules of the classroom as opposed to the playground. This can be a tricky one. So I was talking to um, a member of Get Get Your Life Back a while ago and you know we were talking about the whole what happens in playgrounds and how that affects you later when you go to work so I know for myself there weren't many times at school when I felt that confident in the playground because 
I don't know. It's just really complicated, isn't it? And I wasn't that outgoing. And I don't know, I just didn't, I don't feel I ever really fitted in at school. I was actually really surprised when I went to my high school reunion a few years ago to find that that people knew my name. <laughs> How do you know my name? I thought nobody knew knew who I was because I was quite quiet. And also I didn't, I wasn't one of the popular people. Luckily, at times I had enough um, friends to kind of get through, but I, I found school difficult to negotiate. Um, I mean, some of primary school, depending on which one I was at, was actually quite nice. Depending on how, depending on how harsh it was, that's what it is for me. It's always how harsh is this environment? How much do I have to toughen up or squish myself down, monitor myself so I don't get into trouble? That's pretty much it. I'm very sensitive, um, but then when when that's relaxed, I'm actually I can be quite loud. I can be quite um, disruptive and have fun, and like that's that inner playful, re- rebellious part of me coming out when I feel comfortable. But I would argue that for most of my life, I don't think I've really understood the rules and that I've often felt like I've said the wrong thing. I've done the wrong thing. And because I don't like any fuss, I don't like attention on me. You know, most of the time I squished myself into a smaller space. Maybe you do the same too. But what does it cost us when we do that? So I'm the older I get. And the more I do this work, the more I'm embracing this part of myself. And and I also take I'm also taking responsibility for that. So I can see now looking back that there are times when people would find me difficult to have around because I'm the kind of person who says it as it is, um, calls stuff out. I don't like I'm not very good with pretend talk, you know, the weather that kind of stuff. I'm not very good with that. I mean, that's an introvert's thing, isn't it? We don't we don't really like small talk. We'd rather just have deeply connected conversations. At least I do as an introvert. That doesn't mean I always want serious conversations, but I guess I'm I have an intoler I've always had a bit of an intolerance of the norm. I don't know why. It just seems to be this thing inside me. Oh, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. It just I guess I looked at adults as a child and thought Mm, they're not having that much fun you know all the talk about I don't know how difficult life is I mean I guess as children some children are going to notice that some children aren't going to notice that but yes the older I get the more I am embracing the rebellious side of me in a in a really powerful way in a well life's here to be lived which I always knew but I found it harder before. Now, I mean, it's also an age thing, isn't it? You you start noticing that you've got less time. So let's stop messing around. Let's just get on with it. I mean, 50 for me was a big turning point, as was 40, as was 30, as was 20, whatever. But, you know, 50, I started to think, well, I'm nearly halfway through my life maybe now. So yes, I am planning to live over 100. And to be fair, my great granny lived to be 104 and a half. So come on, there's no reason why I can't have, I don't know, what am I now? 53. So I don't, I don't know. I don't really care. I don't think about it. Now, now is the time to live and to make sure that I'm really present in my life and that 
to do that, I have to be myself. That's just how things are. And looking back, that's been my biggest problem. I either didn't know who I was or I felt that I didn't fit. So I squished myself and tried to mould myself into being what other people needed me to be in order for me to be safe, to be acceptable, to feel loved. And it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. That's why we get stuck in our heads, really overwhelmed, wondering why we're so tired and wondering why something's off. That feeling of something being off all the time. So I guess my question to you is, are you in how to what extent are you or how are you recognizing and embracing the rebellious side of you? That disruptive side, the side, but but in a playful way, the playfully disruptive side of yourself, not the, because I know in the past I've got, I have a tendency to get feisty when I feel that I'm being squished, because I know the cost of being squished now, I can't stand it, so I tend to get feisty, you know, like the little Heidi would stamp her feet and go, no, actually I don't know how much I managed to do that, maybe I was doing that internally, I don't know, I can't remember, but It wasn't that easy for me as a child to be myself. I do know that. So it was probably more internal. But do you know what I mean? When when it's like you get so tired and so overwhelmed and then one thing triggers that emotional reactivity and it's almost like this, no, (laughs) if the boundary was up, you know, 10 years ago, it's like a slow, yeah, it's it's having, having my boundaries in place that enable me to be myself means I'm less likely to get feisty and more likely to have this lovely light rebelliousness that wants to play and have fun and and says things like it's sunny outside I'm going outside and I'm gonna do nothing or I'm gonna wander around and just see what I feel like doing and that's playful I really like that because that's childish and I'm really embracing the childish, rebellious, playful, disruptive part of myself because I I know that because I have this determination to live life to the full, I can get too serious for me in that intent. I mean, it is serious. Life is serious, isn't it? Seriously, look at all the opportunities. But the point of those opportunities is not to be serious in them. It's to enjoy them. It's to for me, it's about being expanding into myself in a more and more playful way. So if I get too serious, I know that I'm, well, I'm heading, I'm heading for overwhelm. If I get really, really serious about stuff, I'm heading for overwhelm. So for example, this week I've been playing at doing nothing. Why? (laughs) Why not just do neutral noticing? Excellent question. Thank you for asking it. Because actually, neutral noticing is so much better than trying to do nothing. It's really hard to do nothing because the mind wants to know how long it's got to do nothing for. It wants to know if this counts as doing nothing. Then it starts analysing. Are you really doing nothing or are you actually writing in your head? So, <laughs> But the reason I started doing it is this. Um, I'm writing my book. I'm in day two of a 40 day course of, of how to write your book. So I'm on it. I'm really enjoying it. But then I noticed that... Um, Oh, so that so the process of writing the book gets me thinking about um, overwhelm and 
what gets us stuck there and all of the issues, everything I've discussed on this podcast and we'll continue to talk about in, in hopefully more helpful, more expansive ways, more uplifting ways as I discover more and get the hang of it and, you know, whatever. We'll see. It's it's an adventure, hey? Um, anyway, then I was thinking about one of the one of the top things I think is that focus on our to-do list and the belief that if we get can get to the end of it, if we can get stuff done, then at the end of it we'll feel better. That the overwhelm will lift will lift. So it's the idea, isn't it, that um when this stuff is done, then I won't feel overwhelmed. That the overwhelm is caused by having all of those things to do, things that I didn't finish last week, things that I still haven't done from last month or last year. You know, so that that to-do list, when, when we get really, really focused on the to-do list and the belief that when that's done, the overwhelm will lift, the pressure will go, I'll be able to think clearly, I'll have more energy, I'll be able to rest, I'll feel better. And I believe this is a a false belief because the more you focus on your to-do list I mean we get what we focus on so if you get really really good at focusing on your to-do list what you get is very very good at focusing on your to-do list you know actually first of all you it can't finish now that's not to say that um you know having a, a really productive day isn't joyful can't be joyful and fulfilling of course it can but when we're really, really focused on our to-do list, so it's the how, not the what. It's not it's not the to-do list, it's how we use it. And when we're really, really focused and we really believe that if only we can get to the end of it, everything will be magically okay. That is a big, big problem. Maybe you recognise this. So then I started to play with the idea that we get good at what we practice. So if we get and when I did a lot of productivity hacking and time management hacking, which can be really, really useful. But in the situation I was in, what happened was I just got even better at doing stuff. So I did more and I got more exhausted. And then other people gave me more to do because I was really good at getting stuff done. So if you focus on your to do list, you become expert at that. Is that what you want to be expert at? No, because the point of getting stuff done is so that you can feel at ease, so that you can have clarity and you can enjoy yourself and relax and have fun. So what do you really want? That's what you really want. So to have that, the answer is not at the end of your to-do list. The answer is in practicing that. Go to just bypass it. Go direct to what you want. What do you actually want? Well, for me, I want the ease that comes and the joy that comes having had a really productive day without pushing through overwhelm and exhaustion, without um, using overusing my mind to such an extent that my body hurts. Have you ever had that? You get to the end of the day and you feel like you've run a marathon when you've actually been sat all day. That's over pushing, push, push. That's forcing ourselves to think through overwhelm. When we when we find a way to deal with the overwhelm, then it's easier to think and we can get more likely to get into a state of flow. And that delicious state of flow, that's energizing. So then we don't end up depleted at the end of the day. So if you practice what, what we really want is to be able to do nothing. And when I mean do nothing, I mean that delicious feeling where time expands, where the body feels at ease, where it just relaxes or you can move it or you can just eat delicious food or you can gaze. Um, in my case, I was ended up gazing at my dog's noses and going, oh, my God, your nose is so beautiful. <laughs> so an unexpectedly lovely thing happens to me in terms of, oh, my dog's nose is beautiful, beautiful. And this was from my acts of doing nothing. So I'm just going to 
so so the, the reason I'm practicing doing nothing is to just examine the opposite of focusing on your to-do list. So I'm just playing. I don't know if it's going to become a thing like neutral noticing and unexpectedly lovely things because, well, I'll explain why. If I tell you what happened when I did nothing. So yesterday I went in the garden. It was beautiful. It's like, oh, spring has sprung. It's sunny. So let's get the garden cushions out and put them in that chair. And I thought, All right, I'm just going to sit on this chair and I'm going to do nothing. So I sat on the chair doing nothing. And then my mind starts saying, well, how long are you doing this for? Should you have set a timer? What is the purpose of what you're doing? Is it is it to practice doing nothing? Yes, it is. Why are you practicing doing nothing? Ah, so I can write about it. <laughs> so basically, my mind was writing and examining the process of doing nothing. So I'm observing myself doing nothing and my experience of doing nothing. Then I'm judging my experience of doing nothing. How long do I do it for? Am I doing it properly? Does this count as doing nothing? And then I realised how much easier it is to neutral notice. Because in neutral noticing, it gives the body, no, sorry, it gives the mind a purpose. Because in neutral noticing, we get out of the head and into the body, the mind can settle because we're not trying to do, we're not trying to do nothing with the mind. So that was curious and interesting, but I still really enjoyed the process. There was there was something for me in examining my own tools that I use inside Get Your Life Back and with with my one to one coaching clients. There was something really valuable for me in 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 attempting a serious purposeful practice of doing nothing and taking that seriously. Can I do nothing? What would it be like? What happens when I do nothing? Is there a, a deeper purpose to this? Could this be a useful thing for my my students and clients? So I'm sat in the garden. It's so beautiful. And what automatically happens for me is I go into neutral noticing. That's, you know, what I've just described to you, the, the observer effect of like, oh, my mind's doing this. My eyes are going in this direction. My body feels like this. The sun is amazing, you know, and I started noticing how beautiful the sky was. And I can hear my mind giving a running commentary on me noticing how beautiful the sky is. And that if you weren't sat here with the practice of doing nothing, you wouldn't have noticed the sky. Have the buds come out yet? Yeah, no, they haven't. So you're noticing you're sat under this tree, noticing the sky earlier than normal because normally there would be buds. So I think the, the sun must be early this year because we're not at the equinox yet, you know, and I really am neutral noticing and I'm also um, effortlessly practicing unexpectedly lovely things, another of my techniques. So that was quite curious. And then I started to get to the whole. So what do I do now? When do I know it's done? What counts as a practice of doing nothing? And then I thought by the time I decided to get up, I was I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's good. So it was a really pleasant experience and it was curious and it made me um, question my work and, and how I use my tools. So that was great. And also, actually, even though that sounds like I did a lot, I felt like I was doing nothing. I also noticed that in the process of pausing and allowing myself to achieve nothing, I think that was the thing. Doing nothing, we think of as we empty the brain. Well, that's that's like that's really hard. That's that's another philosophy. That's not the Zen philosophy. So I, I don't do that because it's I don't know. I'm just not in, I'm not interested at the moment. So this is easier and more fun. So watching the mind, 
but not achieving anything. So you could say, well, I've just in that time, I wasn't really doing nothing because I've achieved a lot of insight into my work. But I didn't have that insight until today, not all of it. Um, so actually, it wasn't I, it was that deliciousness of achieving nothing and having permission to achieve nothing, which is also inside neutral noticing. So I don't know if I gained anything, but I'm glad I did it. So I did it again today. So it was interesting. I went downstairs. So I stopped work, went downstairs in order to purposely do nothing. And then I discovered that the Abel and Cole, this problem, this might happen to you when you go to have a break. I walked into the kitchen and the Abel and Cole delivery, my partner's put it there before going to work. It needs to go in the fridge. Desperately needs to go in the fridge. Does it though? It's got ice in it. Anyway, in my mind, so I better put that in the fridge because it's got chicken livers in it. No, chicken hearts in it. Why on earth it has chicken hearts in it? So my mind's off on this. Why has Simon ordered chicken hearts? He said he really, really wanted some. He doesn't like chicken livers. What's he wants to do with chicken hearts? This is really interesting. He must have a delicious and very nutritious recipe to try out. That would be interesting. So my mind's off on this. And and I've fallen for the, you ought to put that in the fridge, even though it's got ice. Because it's able and cold, it's beautifully packaged, and I could have left it. So already I've gone downstairs to do nothing and I've followed my mind with its oughts and shoulds. So I put the stuff in the fridge, then I'm like, oh, what recipe was I supposed to be using that chicken for? Then I'm looking up the recipe, then I'm I'm doing. I'm not doing nothing. I'm getting stuff done in order to do nothing. And this is the problem, right? We're always like delaying the deliciousness that that, that could be there that's always available to us or mostly is available to us we're, we're avoiding it we're like postponing 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 I'll just do this and then I'll do nothing then I'll do the delicious practice of, of doing nothing exploring what happens when I try and do nothing so I realized I realized what I was up to this is the power of consistently practicing self-awareness. When you embed neutral noticing in your life, you get this kind of superpower. So I, within moments, I, I caught myself. I was like, you're not doing nothing. You're postponing it. What are you doing? Let's get on with this. This is more important. Right. How can I do nothing? What's the easiest way? So my mind's then looking for the best opportunity. It's up to it again. Now, that's not a terrible thing, but it postpones it again. So I wanted to go outside, but there's lawnmower noise. So that's that was quite good because it enabled me to get to the doing nothing practice faster. Yeah, because walking down the garden, getting the cushions to sit in the same place, that's more doing. I just accepted that I, that I needed to stop following my mind's oughts and shoulds and better better possibilities. I sat on the settee, put a blanket over me. The dogs came along and I practiced doing nothing. And I noticed that my mind automatically went to neutral noticing. So it went into my body. I noticed how amazing it was for my body to be on the settee. It was lovely. It was really, really nice. Then I thought, oh, I'm neutral noticing. I'm not doing nothing now. Oh, well, never mind. It's an automatic embedded response that I am so, so grateful for. The ability to control my attention in that way. That's a superpower, right? That's amazing. That's that's something I've wanted and needed all my life. The ability to pull my attention to where I want it to go. 
So I was like, okay, is this a break? Is this not doing nothing? Is this a break? Does it matter? Who cares? Let's go back to doing nothing, which which for me meant letting go of trying to justify or achieve rest, which which really again is neutral noticing. So I'm not I'm not really convinced that the, that my practice of doing nothing is any different or better than neutral noticing. I, I don't know yet. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna continue to play with it for the rest of the week particularly in a week when I've upped my productivity because I'm writing for two hours in the morning before doing anything else. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? To introduce a, I find it interesting. I hope you do too. I'm introducing a practice of doing nothing in a week when I've, um, you know, upped what I'm expecting myself to produce. Maybe it's a good balance. I don't know. But the next thing, so first of all, I went into neutral noticing. My attention was pulled into my body and how lovely it was to just watch my body settling into the settee and how much it really enjoyed that and then I noticed my dog's noses and I was in utter ecstasy about how beautiful their noses are (laughs) so funny I mean I must have looked at their noses thousands of times but suddenly it was one of those beautiful moments where you see something ordinary and it looks magnificent they're so cute my dogs they're so sweet so they were up for doing nothing. They were very keen on that. Um, yes. Anyway, where did we start? Rebelliousness. Is your rebelliousness adding to your overwhelm? You get to decide that. I would argue that a better question actually is, in what way? How? How is your rebelliousness either adding to your overwhelm or to your enjoyment and your ease in your life? How can you embrace your inner rebel gently and just feel more at home in your life? How? How how questions are so much better than what? What do you want is a really difficult question. How would you like to feel? How would you like to feel? What's your favourite feeling at the moment? That's much nicer. Anyway, I'm going to leave that with you. Are you secretly a rebel and are you at the moment a secretly struggling rebel because it feels like your need to feel well rested enjoy yourself have a clear head is at odds with the life that you've created for yourself thank you so much for listening it's been so nice to have you here this week If you're enjoying this podcast, please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find it. And my dream is to help all the people who need to hear this each week to find it. Thank you so much. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If this resonates with you, please use the like, subscribe and share buttons to help other people find their way here too. And please do go to www.heidimark.co.uk forward slash the one minute mark with an E to join my mailing list and receive my free one minute life changing audio practice. <laughs>